Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a very uh, a timely topic for, for you today, and that is lessons that we can learn uh, from uh, reports and work that has been done by the Foundation Center uh, related to the philanthropic interests of members of the president of, of President Trump's uh, new cabinet. Uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach, as was just mentioned, you can call in when we get to our page two expert. Uh, please do, or if you would like, you can send me uh, your your questions via email at tedhart at tedhart.com, uh, or we are streaming live today on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash tedhart. As always, uh, here on the show, we start with page one news. And uh, each month we uh, have the Foundation Center Minute, and Jen Bokoff is back with us. Uh, Jen, uh, bring us up to date on what's happening at the Foundation Center. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having us on the show. And I just want to start by saying thanks for the partnership last year. We've loved being on the show every month, and we're looking forward to doing so again this year. So I'll go right into our updates. We actually have two exciting um, what we call landscape sites launching this week with fresh data. Uh, and so the first I'll talk about is all about funding to libraries. So exactly a year ago, the Knight Foundation launched a contest. And that contest was to answer the question, 
how might libraries serve 21st century information needs? Uh, so really interesting question, and it actually generated more than 600 proposals. And Foundation Center was thrilled to be one of the 14 projects selected. And so yesterday we launched our new portal, libraries.foundationcenter.org, to showcase the local, state, and national sources of funding for public, academic, school, special collection, and government libraries all across the country. That's uh, very impressive. I'm uh, going to the site now. You said that's libraries.foundationcenter.org. Correct. And this, uh, this is, uh, uh, looks like it's filled with uh, important data uh, regarding um, how to track and find funding for libraries. Um, so where, where, what sort of data would we find in this database? So as with a lot of our platforms, we really like to highlight who's funding what and where. So what foundations are investing in different libraries, what the size of those grants is, and you can even drill in to see the grant description. So if they're funding something specific about each library, you can read what that is. And you can also see the demographic information that corresponds with the library service area, which is really interesting just to get a sense of who the actual users at the libraries are. Um, and then you can also start to get insight into regional funding trends. So if you want to search, for example, by your home state, mine is Connecticut. So I was able to drill into Connecticut and see where the Connecticut library funding is coming from and going to. And that also helps you identify the gaps. So you can see certain regions in the state that seem to have a lot of funding going to it, and then others that might be under-resourced. Mm -hmm. So this is a resource that, that would help um, both libraries who are looking for funding, but also potentially funders who are looking to see best cases or who else is funding what or where to contact for information on where grants have already gone. That's right. And I would also add a third bucket there, which is any library advocates. So uh, especially educators I've been following in the recent news, um, they're really worried about funding being cut and how to maintain good libraries. So this is the data that they can use to be quality, um, quality advocates. Wow. And, then and you're tracking 30.1 30, 30 million dollars to public libraries, 25.7 million to archives and special collections. That's some pretty serious money. And we're posting today uh, the link uh, to libraries.foundationcenter.org over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Uh, I'm sorry, I cut you off, Jen, so go ahead. No, terrific. I was just going to share that there's also ways to learn how to use the data and use the site. So when we put information out there, we like to tell you what to do with it as well. So one of my favorite resources on the site is actually a self-paced online course. Um, and especially as many libraries are trying to work with limited resources, it's a really great way to build their fundraising and advocacy capacity. So there's that huh? and several other resources for learning Webinars, how to use data and how to access funding. That's really great. So you've got webinars, in-person training, e-learning. Uh, that's really a very impressive uh, resource. Thank you for sharing that. Any other updates today from uh, the Foundation Center? Sure thing. I'll just tease something that's coming out tomorrow, and we can talk about it more next month. But for the last five years, we've partnered with the International Human Rights Funders Group to do research in who's funding human rights around the world. 
And so tomorrow we'll be releasing the latest set of complete data, um, which will be packaged in a research report and then also data updates on the site humanrightsfunding.org. Okay. Well, I hope uh, next month uh, after you've got that launch, you'll come back and uh, tell us how that uh, that launch went and uh, how these special uh, collections of data are uh, are doing and, and uh, accessible through the foundationcenter.org. Absolutely. Now, Jen, I'm going to ask you to hold on just a second because uh, I think you're going to do double duty for us today. When we come uh, back uh, to page two, you're going to actually introduce our very esteemed page two expert today. Yes. Is that right? I will be excited All right. Hang on. We're heading on over to page two. We're back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Over here on page two, Jen Bokoff is uh, sticking around because she's got double duty today. She's going to actually introduce our important page two guest today. So, Jen, take it away. Sure. Well, you can read his bio on our website, but Brad Smith is the president of Foundation Center, and my boss is boss, so I have to say nice things. But I thought what I would do is just share three things that I think he's brought to Foundation Center to really take it into our 60th year and make it an increasingly relevant source of information for not just the U.S., but around the world. Um, and that first piece is we've really gone to being a globally-minded organization. We have partnerships really around the world and are getting data from countries that never had philanthropy data that was accessible before. And that's really valuable for building international partnerships and thinking about large-scale collaborations, which is especially important in today's world. Um, the second big transformation that he's led us through is going from being data publishers to knowledge curators. And a big piece of that is how we're able to nimbly use technology to visualize and explore data to actually tell a story and help us slice and dice issues and strategies to learn where to go next. Um, and then the third thing that I'm especially delighted by um, that Brad is really leading the way on is our focus on the user. So he's actually called this year at Foundation Center the year of the user. And the idea there is in our role of trying to build the capacity of the social sector, we can't forget the very people that we're trying to serve. Um, and those are the people on the ground in communities all around the world actually making change. And so as we continue to build new knowledge products um, and slice and dice data in cool new ways, what we can't lose sight of is who's actually using it and how they're using it. And so actually what he's here to talk about today is a really timely example of that where we had the end user, the American public, in mind as we built this new transparency tool. So I think, uh, you know, I could keep talking, but hopefully that's a pretty good intro, and I will pass it over to Brad Smith. I think you've done a fantastic job, and welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Brad Smith, president of the Foundation Center. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Sorry, it is really a pleasure to have you here. And, of course, the, the research that the Foundation Center does, and in particular on, I think, a very timely topic is, is that of the, uh, the new uh, Trump administration and the, the new cabinet, which is uh, currently being seated. 
Uh, and what does this mean to philanthropy? I, I noticed over the, the weekend, uh, Brad, that uh, President Trump uh, presided over the Red Cross ball that was held at Mar-a-Lago. Um, so it, clearly a, a, an important uh, philanthropic effort on the part of, uh, of the president, and uh, we're posting a link uh, to that over on Facebook uh, as we speak uh, at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. The Foundation Center, Brad, has, has put together uh, a research project. Can you um, uh, sort of share the details of that and tell us what will we find in that? So uh, please um, uh, give us a briefing on I, what you're calling Eye on the Trump Cabinet. Okay, certainly. Uh, well, first of all, uh, it, the easiest way to find it is to go to a special site the Foundation Center has devoted to foundation transparency, and that's called uh, glasspockets.org. That's all one word, glasspockets.org. And then you'll see right on the, the, the homepage there um, the link to the Eye on the Trump Cabinet. And a little later on in the conversation, we can get into why glass pockets and, and why transparency. Uh, Eye on the Trump Cabinet is basically an interactive website that was curated by the Foundation Center to help people in our sector, meaning the broad social sector, nonprofits, foundations, consultants, advisors, wealth managers, really understand uh, something about the background of the different cabinet nominees uh, with a special focus on their foundations that might be related to them in some way, either a foundation they have themselves, uh, which they sit on the board of, or perhaps a family member has, and then also uh, nonprofits to which they're related to in some way, usually by board service. And to the extent possible, uh, we could tease out their giving interest. Uh, the reason we sort of decided to do this was we started to get lots of calls, uh, some actually from international press, uh, but a lot of queries domestically about, well, what do you think the relationship will be between the new Trump administration and the nonprofit and philanthropic sector? So we decided to put up a very neutral resource uh, without editorial comment that would help give people the information they needed to answer that question. Right. Well, it's a very important question, and, of course, there, there are concerns uh, that have been expressed uh, throughout the nonprofit sector in terms of uh, what the Trump administration uh, could mean. Of course, it's very early on, um, and anything at this point is really you know, pure conjecture. Uh, we have posted glasspockets.org uh, over at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, so everyone can uh, pick it up uh, directly there. So uh, I'm over on that site. Um, lots of uh, lots posted here, but what are the early lessons? And, and I think you're right. You know, the only thing that we can we can rely on right now is the data that is available uh, on glass pockets, the transparent information that's available on the people who will make up President Trump's cabinet. So what in right. general or in specific are the stories that are told? Right. Well, one of the, the comments that uh, I received uh, from someone in the sector that sort of got us thinking about this site was uh, somebody said, well, you know, this administration doesn't know anything about philanthropy. So we decided to sort of figure out whether that was true or not. Uh, when we started to do profiles of uh, President Trump himself 
and as cabinet nominees, we found actually that among the different nominees uh, and President Trump himself, there were 25 different related philanthropic foundations. And collectively, um, over 50 nonprofit organizations in which they had served in some way, usually as a board. So just that empirical evidence says that this is a group of people that know something uh, about the sector through their own philanthropy, their family's philanthropy, and their board service. And there's a couple of them, actually, that stand out quite a bit um, that your yeah. listeners might be interested in. One of them, obviously, is in the news today. I don't know how the vote is going, but uh, Betsy DeVos, uh, who has been nominated for Secretary of Education, uh, whose confirmation is being voted on today, a lot of controversy about her, about her views on education and the role of charter schools. From a the perspective of our sector in philanthropy, uh, the really important thing about Betsy DeVos is that she comes, she has, her and her husband have their own foundation, which is a substantial foundation that gives out about $9 million a year. And she comes from a family uh, with a tradition of philanthropy. There's a number of other family philanthropies. And of course, she's been on the board of a lot of different nonprofit organizations. But even more important, perhaps, is that she is the outgoing chair of the Philanthropy Roundtable, which is one of the key philanthropic sector infrastructure organizations, membership organization of foundations and donors uh, that advocate, uh, importantly, philanthropic freedom, basically, that it's important that philanthropies have the independence and the freedom to pursue, pursue their mission. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a very important uh, infrastructure. So clearly uh, her role as board chair of the Philanthropy Roundtable, in addition to her own family foundation, would lead you to believe that, that she at least has an appreciation for the role of philanthropy in America. Correct. And there are several others, too. If you look at someone like Ben Carson, of course, he has his own, the Ben Carson Scholars Fund, which is a grant-making public charity um, Steve Mnuchin, um, as is true with you know many high net worth people in the uh, you know the Wall Street the financial sector, uh, is also quite active uh, in a number of foundations, including uh, his own uh, family foundation, and sits on lots of nonprofit boards or has sat on them in the past, like the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Police Foundation, Junior Achievement. Uh, so there's also knowledge there, and this is true for a number of the other uh, cabinet members as well. One, of course, one of the most notable, at least in terms of uh, hoping that there is uh, an appreciation of a broad-based role of philanthropy is Elaine Chow, uh, exactly. the nominee for Secretary of, of Transportation. So share with our listeners where you know what her experience has been and why that that might give some indication of, of a role she could play. Well, certainly, again, there's a family foundation there, which is the Ruth Mulan Chu Chow Foundation. Uh, and also, of course, uh, the uh, United Way Worldwide, um, where, you know, something she's been deeply involved in for many years. Again, uh, nonprofit. She was also on the board of Bloomberg Philanthropies. Uh, she has done a lot of charitable board service. Uh, so this is someone, obviously, who has been active in the nonprofit and philanthropic sector. Uh, and, again, we're not, 
we weren't looking um, in this site to really say anything about their their own political beliefs or right. uh, how those political beliefs might affect their philanthropy. But because the, one of the true beauties of the philanthropic sector in America is its, its incredible diversity. And the, another message we wanted to sort of subtly communicate was that uh, that independence is, uh, continues to be very important for the sector to thrive. Well, the, the philanthropic sector in the United States is is held up as a model around the world uh, as one of those institutions that are uh, or sectors that are purely American, uh, represent right. a, broad, a very right. broad base of of uh, uh, beliefs and and you know uh, points of view, uh, and that that's the richness of the the sector that it's it's not. Uh, only tied to one political party uh, versus another, or one one viewpoint versus another, or one religion versus another. It is one of those those infrastructure parts of our society uh, that if if we all support it and promote it and, and allow it to breathe and grow in all of its diversity, um, it, it it brings out the best of what America is. Do you have a sense in in uh, uh, in the, the reading that you've done and the data that you've brought together that, that you believe right now, early on, fresh new administration, that, that we can expect that there is an appreciation of that point uh, within the, the, the halls of uh, the uh, Trump cabinet? To tell you the truth, I think it's a little early to tell. I haven't yet seen a tweet uh, on this, a presidential tweet, although, you know, give it five minutes, there may be one. Um, <laughs> but... I, that, that, maybe that's the good news. Maybe maybe yeah, not I don't being fodder for, for Twitter is a good thing. Correct. I, I don't think this is this is top of mind. Uh, I think it's a little bit in the, you know, sort of in the news because of Betsy DeVos, and obviously people look at her, you know, charitable support during the election because of the Trump and Clinton foundations, which are actually making public charities that came up. But I haven't really seen anything that leads me to believe one thing or another yet. Um, you know, I know that there is among uh, the administration and, and, you know, especially among uh, supporters, you do get a lot of social media chatter about uh, sort of liberal philanthropists like George Soros, for example. Mm. So whether that may turn into something that is more focused on looking at, you know, sort of political causes with a small p that philanthropy and nonprofits might be advocating. I mean, certainly we're going to see, we're already seeing clashes between organizations like the American Civil Liberties Union, environmental organizations around climate change. And I'm sure at some point the press and, uh, you know, different kinds of me online media fora will begin to look at how those are funded, and this could create scrutiny of the sector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could, but but isn't the danger here to uh, to allow the the um, discussion or the dialogue to devolve into the kind of philanthropy that supports me is the only true kind of philanthropy, as opposed to recognizing and promoting the notion that philanthropy is very broad-based, should be broad-based, and should be supported for its diversity, as opposed to, uh, well, I only care for philanthropy if it supports my political views. 
No, exactly. And I think, you know, if you, if, uh, when you're in Washington and you drive by the National Archives, you see that wonderful statue out front that has the, the, mod, the slogan, you know, the, the, the quote on the bottom that the past is prologue. And there are actually you know, historical precedents uh, when these kinds of debates about the role of philanthropy have arisen. And this gives me a chance to talk a little bit about why glass pockets, actually. The, the Foundation Center itself was born out of uh, McCarthy-era hearings on Capitol Hill about the role of philanthropy. There were actually two sets of hearings, the Reese Commission hearings and the Cox Commission hearings, that investigated foundations for alleged support of un-American activities. And okay. the quote that Glass well, that's chilling. That is chilling, yes. Um, but it was very interesting. Um, one of the people that testified was a Republican banker named Russell Leffingwell, who was the chair of the Carnegie Foundation board at the time. And he told the members of Congress at the hearing that he said, we believe the foundation should have glass pockets, meaning that we have nothing to hide. We're a tax-exempt charity serving the public good, and therefore we feel that transparency is our best defense. And it was out of those hearings, actually, that the Foundation Center was created by John Gardner, who was the president and CEO of the Carnegie Foundation at the time and a group of other foundation leaders that felt that the best really defense of the sector was to prove it had nothing to hide. So the Foundation Center was created as a, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, non-advocacy, and non-membership public information service about philanthropy. And a lot of those early decisions were quite fascinating because the idea not to make it a membership organization was actually to try to help, help ensure that the organization, that the information would be trusted. And one of the most valuable assets the Foundation Center has is trust. And we were very conscious of this as we did this site on the Trump administration. Uh, we were very careful about not editorializing. We're very careful about the, new, the links to news stories we picked to try to be as balanced as possible, and believe me, it was tough because you know some of these cabinet picks um, and the president himself, you know, sort of pride themselves on being polemical and controversial. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of tough press out there. So we really had to bend over backwards to try to give as rounded and neutral picture of these cabinet members in relation to their giving interest and, you know, philanthropic interest. So there's been other points we could talk about in history, but, but just to make a long story short, um, the few attempts that have been uh, throughout history to try to say that one kind of philanthropy is right and another is wrong have never really succeeded um, because it's, it's a very difficult thing to do through public policy without basically affecting the whole sector. Um, as long as foundations do not violate the regulations which are imposed upon them by the uh, Internal Revenue Service with regard to lobbying, political, partisan political activity, and a few other things, self-dealing, for example, um, they are free basically to fulfill their public, their public purpose, their charitable purpose, in the manner that they best see that, that they best see fit. And and in prevent pro providing this, 
uh, in a very transparent way. It gives us an opportunity to see sort of the the, the facts as they are, and 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 as you said, not um, editorialize. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you to just reflect on uh, a statement that you made in the article uh, that was posted in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, uh, which we'll post over on uh, on Facebook. Uh, and that's where you said we uh, what we hope it does is shed a little light on the speculation of what this might mean for the sector. And when we come back from the break, I want to focus on what do you think this means uh, for the sector, and we'll be right back. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. Get your calendars out next week here live on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, we will have Mark Pittman with us. Uh, Mark will be uh, sharing, giving us updates on the Concord Leadership Group and the Nonprofit Academy. I'm quite excited uh, for you to learn more about the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference. And of course, Mark is best known for Ask Without Fear that has sold more than 10,000 copies. So join us next week here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, 12 noon Eastern, and learn how to ask without fear. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And, of course, you can always email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com uh, or ask your questions live over at facebook.com 
forward slash Ted Hart. We are here live on the nonprofit coach uh, with Brad Smith, Foundation Center President. Our topic today uh, is a really terrific uh, glass pockets project that they have posted and we have shared the link for uh, called Eye on the Trump Cabinet. Uh, and Brad, before we went on uh, on break, you had uh, given an interview to the Chronicle of Philanthropy uh, where you said that you were hoping that in light of a lot of speculation, of which it is a lot of speculation out there, uh, you were hoping that we, we might find some pathway, I gather, uh, to figuring out what all this might mean for the philanthropic sector. What do you think this all might mean for the philanthropic sector? Well, one of the things we know about the, the, the nonprofit and philanthropic sector in the U.S. is that the U.S. government is the largest source of support for nonprofits. Um, sometimes that kind of surprises people because of the strong traditions of individual and you know, philanthropic giving in the U.S., but the government uh, at the federal and state levels is and will continue to be a very big player uh, in providing resources for the nonprofit sector. The priorities of those resources will undoubtedly change with the new administration. Um, there might actually be more decentralization of services to states, we just don't know, but the government's going to continue to be a big player. And the sector will need to find a way, certainly wherever it can, to work with government. Uh, you know, one of the things that's true about the history of the relationship between the nonprofit sector and government throughout American history uh, has been that it is often one of collaboration and it is sometimes one of disagreement and dispute and can or it can also be one of advocacy and it can be all those things at the same time. So what we hope to do with this resource is to begin to give people some ability to begin to gauge how they're going to have to position their organizations. Uh, and their causes and their foundations in relation to the new administration. And part of that is basically just understanding who the administration is and what their interests are. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. if you pull up on this site the, uh, the profile of one of the cabinet nominees, Wilbur Ross for Secretary of Commerce, there's a poll quote we put in there, which is hard to disagree with. He says, what is worrisome in the U.S. standard of living, what is worrisome is the U.S. standard of living. I think it is very difficult to envision our standard of living being preserved if we are in an economy where all people do is flip hamburgers, wait on people in stores, and sue each other. It's not much of a basis for an economy. That tells you a lot about his values and the things he sees. The other interesting thing is he's an avid art collector, and he's created his own public charity to support the René Magritte uh, art museum in Belgium. So if you're looking for, uh, you know, ways to understand who these people are, possible ways to collaborate, all this kind of information uh, can be really, really useful. Right. And, and it does give, give a sense that, that as you look through uh, these backgrounds, again, that the philanthropy is uh, a truly American, broad-based American, capital A American um, uh, infrastructure 
uh, and needs to be supported. But to your point, when when it comes to support from the government for various charitable um, institutions, um, that has ebbed and flowed over time. Certainly, many of us have been around where uh, there have been you know cutbacks uh, because of budget cutbacks. Well, right. do we honestly think if there are budget cutbacks, that's not going to affect? Um, some charitable uh, institutions, um, and certainly um, a particular approach uh, might favor one kind of charity over another. And I, and I think those are certainly. those are natural approaches that that we all should expect are just a, a part of doing business um, with the government. It's when um, it, the the fear is that there's selective uh, engagement or cuts simply based on political interests as opposed to uh, maybe the running of the country or what is in the broad-based interest of the American public, not the, the Republican public or the Democratic public, but, but uh, the capital A American uh, public. Um, do, do we have a sense, again, from, from an overall look here that there is enough of an appreciation there that philanthropy uh, will not be approached as a purely political activity, but as sort of a broad-based, um, a capital A American? Um, well, I, I think, you know, I think the data tells us a lot about philanthropy. And, uh, you know, we often hear at the Foundation Center that, you know, foundations will tell us, well, you know, there's grants we make in the environmental area or the, you know, uh, in support of immigration or immigrants' rights or whatnot that are so sensitive we're worried about our data being mm -hmm. out there. Uh, that actually represents a very small percentage of overall giving. The majority of giving by the more than 86,000 uh, private independent foundations in the United States goes for uh, education and health. And very large, very large portion of that goes to very traditional you know, large sort of bedrock institutions in American society, hospitals, uh, uh, you know, large universities, um, also a significant amount of money goes to arts institutions. And I don't expect to see that being come under scrutiny or particular change. I think where we will see the flashpoints are obviously things around reproductive health and reproductive rights like we've already seen with Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. and the revitalization of the, the Mexico ruling. Um, you know, prohibiting uh, government resources for uh, organizations that, you know, discuss abortion as a, as a family planning tool. Uh, we'll probably see it uh, around immigration and immigrants' rights um, and issues of sanctuary schools. Uh, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the char charter schools play out because it looks like, especially with Bessie DeVos has confirmed, that there will be greater government support through voucher programs and other programs for right. charter schools, so there may be and greater opposition a, to that. Yeah. Just as an update, uh, she was just narrowly confirmed with the vote of the vice president, so uh, right. she okay. is now secretary. So that will. Yeah. So I think we'll see. You know, we'll see areas where government money will flow that are more in line with you know the the beliefs and priorities of the administration and the and the Congress. Uh, and then we'll see, you know, private money, as we're already seeing, flow into some of the causes that are, are out of favor or where people feel that, you know, sectors that uh, needed to be defended and promoted, uh, for example, immigrant populations, uh, human rights issues, and, of course, environmental issues. 
But we've seen right. this before. We've, we've seen this with the, you know, with the, the Reagan administration. We've seen sort of more conservative-minded donors sort of do this during the Clinton and Obama administrations um, with their issues. So, you know, there okay. is this kind of ecosystem of funding that that is part private, part public, and the distribution and focus of that shifts depending on uh, the nature of the, the government that that happens to be um, in office happens to be in, in office yep. yeah and, and that and I think that's I think that's right I think that's uh, you know you chalk that up to elections matter um, and yeah. if, if these topics matter to you um, it is going to change one way or the other depending on who is in office and you may be pleased or displeased depending on who's in office but I want to turn your your attention to to something of a, of a completely different uh, flavor, um, and that is when the, the, the underlying assumptions of philanthropy and the underlying you know, longstanding um, sort of uh, agreement between the factions um, are things like the Johnson Amendment, which is a 1954 law that forbids right. churches and other 501c3 tax-exempt organizations from engaging in official electioneering. You know, I think that's that that's something that we all understand that that's something that 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 we don't want to see happen, um, and that that should be carefully scrutinized in terms of. Um, so I I think it's quite a different flavor. Uh, when you have a president who says, um, and his quote is that he would, he intends to totally destroy the Johnson Amendment, not look at it, not study <laughs> it, not not review it, but to totally destroy the Johnson yeah. Amendment. That's that's on the the order of pretty chilling. Yeah, that's uh, you know I think one of the things everyone is getting used to is that you know there's a decidedly different tone to the discourse. Of, of this administration, and um, a lot of the first salvos are very aggressive. Um, I assume, like a lot of things in American society, those things will be ultimately be decided not by pronouncements, um, but essentially through the courts, through uh, advocacy, through informed research that will be brought to the debate through active press coverage and you know it's hard to predict where from where we are today with a statement like that to where we'll end up or where we'll be it's very difficult to predict um, just as a matter of and this is not you know, I'm not ducking but uh, the foundation center um, as part of its role as being a trusted information uh, and data provider about the sector we do not. We're not an advocacy group, so we actually do not take uh, stands on issues of public policy, like payout rate, charitable deduction, things like you know you just asked about. We often do research to help inform the debate, especially upon request. We get a lot of background requests from journalists, um, from membership organizations, from advocacy organizations, and we will often do. Uh, neutral objective research on what the data is telling us but we don't actually take stands on this because the belief of the founders and I think it's you know protected by the board and the staff today is that the minute you become a partisan like that in a debate uh, your information becomes suspect and I think even more sort of in the rather unique information environment we're in today where you know expertise and facts are being questioned 
Right, right. And and certainly there are a number of people, I think, on both sides who respect the central role of the Johnson administration um, in, in terms of keeping the charitable sector um, nonpartisan. Um, not to say yeah. that you won't find charities of, of different flavors, um, but I think destroying the, the Johnson administration makes it absolutely certain that you will see charities become much more partisan. Um, and I don't see how that lessens the, the division in this country. I think it only further institutionalizes it almost beyond the breaking point. Yeah, I, I think a real big challenge for the sector in general is, is really about, I think, just following up on something you said about bringing the country together. Um, we have been through a particularly, you know, volatile election process with a lot of acrimony and a lot of division. Uh, and there is a way in which, uh, you know, sort of American partisan politics has become sort of a hyper-partisan environment uh, in which, you know, we don't bring people together. You sort of win by, you know, dividing people and pulling them apart. Um, this is something the sector, you know, because the sector is so directly connected to what real people's lives on the ground. I think, you know, this is a big challenge for the sector is sort of how we bring people together. And I think the other important thing for your listeners is, um, you know, the United States is not the only country going through this. This is a a global trend. We see um, symptoms of it with the Brexit vote. There are 13 elections in the next 12 months in Europe. And there are some of the similar kind of populist forces at work on the left and the right. Um, really that are mobilizing significant portions of the electorate in different countries based on a feeling of somehow disenfranchisement and being left behind by globalization. Um, this is so it's, I think it's, it's good for us sometimes to get out of our, our purely American lens and realize that, you know, these are global trends that are going on, have a lot to do with right. technology and the, and the economy. Well, and, and I, I think you're right in, in, in bringing that as, as a, a focus, um, but I think that gives uh, those of us in the sector, and you may agree, even more cause for alarm and concern. There certainly uh, are a number of um, reports that have uh, been released over the last uh, many months, um, one in particular from the Carnegie Endowment, uh, about the closing of civil society, and I've just posted right. a link uh, that over yeah. at facebook.com uh, forward slash Ted Hart. Um, that's not the only one, but democracy and human rights support are under fire around the world. So that's if true. we look around the world as an indicator of the trends, I think that, that, that may, while we don't see evidence, you know, this early on in the Trump administration, that uh, other than, you know, the, the destruction of the, the Johnson uh, Amendment, that, that certainly is very troubling as a statement. Uh, but but I, and I, I'll just sort of put on the side there to remind our, our listeners here that the Johnson uh, Amendment is not a, a, a pre, uh, presidential uh, executive order, but is in fact a law. Um, and so it would require congressional approval to change that law, not to say that, that, that political winds might not drive it in that direction, but there certainly are a lot of us um, who would, would not want to see that happen, and, and hopefully there are people in Congress that would not want to see that happen. So you know, there, there are a number of people who feel that that's less likely, but back to your point, 
um, the, the global trends are not extremely promising right now. Right. No, they're, they're very, and I think actually a, a really interesting future program, you know, would be on the closing of space for civil societies. It's something, it's a great concern around the world. Um, I do think in that regard, you know, what happens in the, in the United States in the next four years is very important because the, the U.S., even with countries and populations and around the world that aren't particularly in love with the United States, uh, one of the things they do admire often is this inc the incredible vibrancy of its nonprofit and philanthropic culture. Um, we get a lot okay. of requests here at the Foundation Center uh, from groups all over the world about, well, how you know, how does the U.S. model work? You know, they're seeing their own governments, for economic reasons, pull out of areas in which government you know used to heavily support social services, arts, and culture and are very curious about the American model and how it works. So people do pay attention to the space that exists and the legal structure and the economic structure and the freedom of the, the nonprofit and philanthropic sector here. So it is something, you know, the world will be watching. Um, I just want to make sure there's just, you know, just back for a minute on the, the eye on the, the Trump cabinet site. We're probably going to change it to eye on the Trump administration because we're broadening the number of people. We're including a number of advisors. And there's just one really important advisor that you're, from the standpoint of our sector, that your users might not be, your listeners might not be aware of. And that's Dina Habib Powell, um, who has been named to be senior counselor to the president for economic initiatives. Uh, Dina is actually uh, Egyptian born. Uh, she worked in the White House Office of Personnel under the, uh, the first Bush administration, uh, but she has also been in charge for a number of years of the philanthropic programs of Goldman Sachs. She comes out of Goldman Sachs, has been an active participant um, in Aspen Institute for uh, on philanthropy. She ran a very big program at Goldman Sachs called 10,000 Women, about empowering women entrepreneurs around the world. Um, so this is another person in the cabinet uh, who very much understands the role, and the, the role and the power of philanthropy and you know nonprofit initiative. Well, I, I thank you for for that, and I'm glad that uh, um, that you are going to expand that because there are certainly more voices that will affect these decisions, big and small. I, I, you know, is, is, is there an attack on philanthropy? I, I think that's going too far. Um, are, there, are there concerns about changing the structure or sort of the common understanding uh, across the country in terms of what is a nonprofit? I, I think that's fair to say that that, that may be something that's open. Um, I, I did want to just share because you're, you're right. This this topic of you know trends around the world certainly uh, Brexit um, in some ways is seen as sort of a, um, you know, a a precursor to the Trump election and and you know does uh, President Trump's election uh, now signal to you know the the elections in Europe and what might happen there may or may not we don't know but as you said that's something worth watching over the next 12 months. Um, this this notion of closing society, there there just one thing to share uh, with our listeners here is that the Financial Action Task Force, the uh, what's known as FATF, um, had issued uh, recommendation eight um, R eight, um, where they specifically were saying. 
that nonprofits um, were, in their words, particularly vulnerable to terrorist abuse. Um, and what happened following that is that a number of governments used that as sort of, um, you know, some of us felt sort of as a weapon to crack down on uh, funding to nonprofits as a way to sort of, you know, defund the opposition voices in various right. governments. Um, and, and that has been reversed. Um, and FATF has revised uh, Recommendation 8 um, and are no longer saying uh, that nonprofits are particularly vulnerable. So, so that sort of stick or that, that weapon that was being used um, and certainly seemed to be one of the reasons why um, civil society space was being seen as under attack was that, that, that they had sort of this, this weapon, this uh, recommendation eight. So I just thought, and I posted over on Facebook a link uh, to the nonprofit platform on uh, the Financial Action Task Force on FATF, just for people to track that, because uh, I think you're right. You know, there, there, there are more forces at work here than just simply um, the, the political or the philanthropic interests of the Trump administration. Um, but to ignore that um, is to not see the big picture. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we only have a, a few minutes left um, here on the show. I want to thank you again for, for being my guest and such, such a thoughtful um, discussion today and certainly very timely with uh, um, the incoming administration and so many unknowns, but, you know, we don't have to approach this as completely unknown. There are things that, that we can uh, learn and topics that we certainly should begin uh, tracking. Um, so if you would summarize uh, what the Foundation Center is doing, what you are planning to do, what people can count on the Foundation Center to do as these topics uh, unfold. And then uh, uh, before we say goodbye, uh, how can my listeners uh, reach out to you? Okay, great. Well, first of all, just in terms of the eye on the, the Trump cabinet sort of mini site, um, which will, it will be enlarged to sort of focus on the top advisor for the administration um, to sort of create a map of those that group and what their philanthropic interests are in nonprofit service and it, to the extent we can tease it out their giving interests uh, as sort of a, a you know a roadmap that people can use as they try to figure out how they can relate to the new administration so we'll we'll continue to expand that uh, just more generally the foundation center is uh, launching um, lots of new sites you heard a little bit at the beginning of the program about the one on public libraries uh, we're looking actually at doing uh, some sites on issues that are going to be uh, very important in the coming years uh, one that would show for example how philanthropy has supported charter schools and what the, the research that has also been funded by foundations and published by their grantees says about the issues swirling around charter schools. Um, just very quick data we've seen shows that since 2006, foundations have provided more than $3.2 billion for charter schools, and that's very conservative. Um, we're also thinking of doing a similar one on you know, what is likely to be an extremely contentious issue, which is around immigration. and. Again, on all these issues, the Foundation Center brings the data to the table rather than an advocacy position. So we also know, for example, uh, that 
some of the philanthropic money going into immigration issues uh, is actually for support of nonprofits like the Federation for American Immigration Reform that have views very similar to that of the administration about, you know, border control, uh, very, you know, sort of limited amount of immigration, high vetting. Um, it's not just about immigrants' rights or, you know, fighting a, a travel ban. Um, there's a diversity of approaches being supported, and we feel that at a time when issues like charter schools and immigration and other issues are bound to be of interest, one thing we know is that when there is national focus about on issues and the news is bombarding you with them, donors begin to want to work on those issues. Uh, right. And what we really want to help the field do is as quickly as possible realize who's funding what where so they can see who's getting the money, who's not, who they can partner with, and also how can they learn quickly what other philanthropists have already learned about their issue. There's just too much duplication in our field, and there's mm -hmm. too much starting de novo when it's not necessary in today's information age. So the Foundation Center through right. a variety of projects is really trying to answer those two questions for donors to make our work just a lot. So somehow philanthropy can be more than the sum of its parts. Right, and and also to to you know in your research to show the diversity of approaches on a single topic and the 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 wide range of types of organizations that are approaching and and you know to ask my listeners but also to ask them to be advocates for philanthropy and understanding that just because someone doesn't uh, uh, agree with you or support your organization or your approach uh, doesn't mean that they're anti-philanthropic. Um, and yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it, regardless of which side you are on a topic, um, I'd ask everyone to put above that um, our philanthropic tradition and our philanthropic yeah. tradition that supports a variety of different viewpoints. And I think you help draw that out to say, you know, listen, these topics matter and they matter from a, a variety of different viewpoints. And that's, again, back to the richness of the philanthropic sector. True. And I think, you know, it's, like a lot of things in, in life and in history, what is, seems an unpopular issue or cause today may be the seed of something that becomes a societal movement. I mean, the first grants that were made uh, in support of the women's movement, the early courageous funders that started to support work against apartheid in South Africa, these were not very popular causes when they started funding right. them, but then they became sort of global movements. Um, you did ask how people get in touch with me. Uh, feel free to email me um, at bks, as in Sam, at foundationcenter.org. I'd be glad to respond to um, you know, any questions your listeners might have, or if I can't respond to them, connect you with the people or resources that can give you what you need. Terrific. Well, Brad, you and your organization, uh, we are fans of yours here on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Jen has been on several times, and we love having her on. She keeps us up to date on all of your changes, and I hope you will not be a stranger here on The Nonprofit Coach because this has really been a terrific and enlightening show today. Brad Smith, Foundation Center President, thank you for being my guest today here on The Nonprofit Coach. Well, thank you so much. I'd love to come back. You got it. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.